Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with Owen Coyle Jr. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. As a manager, you're responsible not just for a team, sometimes you're responsible for a, for a whole city and everything goes with that and how people feel. And if I actually go back to that, I remember uh, at Burnley and we were obviously uh, we were doing ever so well as you know and the uh, and I remember the secretary uh, coming and saying, hey, hey Gaffer, there's uh, the police superintendents in to see you Monday morning. This is towards the end of the season, just before we build up to the, the, the playoffs. And I thought, the chief superintendents in to see me on a Monday morning. So of course I'm thinking, oh my God, what have the players been up to? Who's did what? Who's, somebody's been in trouble. And so anyway, he comes in and he sits down, lovely man. And I said, hey, so I'm wanting to know who's been in trouble. I said, so everything okay? You know, what's... He went, no, and I just wanted to come in and thank you. I said, sorry. He said, yeah, I just wanted to come in and thank you. I said, thank me for what? He said, oh, when the team's winning, there's less crime. <laughs> so, honestly, one of the best comments I've ever had, when the team's winning, there's less crime. Everybody's in a good mood. They feel good about themselves. And uh, and this was the superintendent came in, chief superintendent came in to tell me face-to-face. I was worried one of the players was in bother. So, my point is, you're responsible for a huge town, a huge city. So it's not something we take lightly. Following on from his son's podcast, we're excited to welcome Owen Coyle Sr. onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Owen is currently head coach at Chennai NFC in the Indian Super League. He amassed almost 700 professional appearances as a player and has been involved as a manager and a head coach for about 20 years, including managing several clubs in the Premier League. Just so everybody is aware, if there is a dip or a lag in the podcast, it was due to internet connection during the recording. Owen Coyle Senior, welcome to the Golders Podcast. No, I'm looking forward to it. Listen, it's been, uh, I know you've had great patience because we were lined up a, a bit earlier in the season, but it's great to be on now. Sun shining, spotting the skies here. Although it might not look it, but anyway, it's a beautiful day. So Owen, to us, we, we always ask, the same question of every guest. To us, gold dust is sprinkling particles and knowledge to help people. What does gold dust mean to you? Uh, well, I, th- I think you probably summed it up there. I think it is, you know, people, you know, when they say, oh, what, what is gold dust? And everybody will have different interpretations. But I think you're right. I think if you can add little, you know, if you can impart any knowledge, particularly in football, if I, if I bring it back to football, if I can impart any knowledge, any wisdom, any experience that I've picked up that can maybe help somebody else, I think those little gems, that bit of gold dust, as you say, I think that that helps everybody on their journey. Well, and you've you've obviously had a a, a very good and uh, and long coaching career. What inspired you to pursue a coaching career in the first place, and how and where did it all start? I know. I think I think that's a. It's a really good question. First and foremost, obviously, I wish I was still a player. 
I wish I could play. You play as long as you can. I certainly did. The best days of your life being a footballer. You play well. The manager picks you. That's it. You're, you're doing your job for the team. But as a coach, it was a natural involvement for me. I I was quite vocal when I played. Uh, I was. I'd like to think I had leadership qualities uh, within any team I played in. And uh, and I remember actually we we Sandy, who's my assistant. We were teammates at Airdrie and another friend of ours, Jimmy Boyle. We actually started doing our B licence. The SFA had a great initiative that you could do the, the coaching course during the during the season. In fact, Wednesday was your day off. So we all, I think it was 25 of us from different clubs all over Scotland. And we did it over the course of the year. So that was in 1990. I had my B licence by the time I was 23. Uh, following year, I did my introductory. So it was always going to be a natural way. Uh, Involvement for me from going from playing to, to coaching because it just had that natural enthusiasm, that love of the game. And when your legs eventually give up, which they do in everybody, then it was only natural that. And I was really lucky because I was a player coach from when I was like 34 and I played till I was nearly 40. Just love the game as we still do. It's the best game in the world. And uh, and so, so, from my point of view, I've been very fortunate and very blessed. I've got to say that because when you think the amount of number of players, then that doesn't transmit to coaching jobs available. So I've been very fortunate that, you know, I've been, you know, in football all my days, coming up for just short of 57. I know I don't look it, but I am, believe it or not. So, uh, yeah, I've been very, very lucky, very blessed. And it, for me, it was a natural involvement from playing into coaching. Now, you, you morphed into management. You've managed in the Premier League. You've managed several clubs across different leagues and countries. Which club did you enjoy managing the most and why? Oh, that's a, that's a really difficult question, only because I've been, certainly the majority of, of, of the clubs I've managed, I've, I've loved my time at the club for different reasons. But the biggest thing for me is people, you know, and it's the same when you go to you know, different countries, I've been fortunate enough to do that, you know, it's the people you meet and, and, and what they add to you, what they, the little things they bring to you. And, uh, and I've been really lucky. Loved my time uh, in America. Obviously, my oldest daughter, Kira, was getting married and uh, she's going to have her first, her first grandchild, Willow, who's now six. So that's the reason why I came back to America. Otherwise, probably still been over there. Loved it. Loved the, the lifestyle, the family, uh, well, everything that goes with it. Uh, but I think the, the one, obviously, that, that in terms of football terms would put you on the map was obviously having done really well at St. Johnston to, uh, to move to Burnley and... Uh, and the job we did at Burnley, but I've got to say, like coming from the background that I do in the west of Scotland and Glasgow, obviously Scotland's dominated by Glasgow Celtic and Glasgow Rangers, and it used to be a, it used to irk me a little bit actually when I played for Dundee United, or Motherwell, or Dunfermline clubs like this, very good clubs, and you'd be travelling as a player to go in and play a home game, and there'd be buses leaving to go and support Celtic and Rangers, and I always used to think, you know, support your local team, everybody be be so much better of it. And that's coming from a, from a Glasgow Celtic man. Uh, but when I came down to Burnley, what I loved was, all you seen was Burnley tops. There wasn't, there was no Liverpool, no Manchester United, no Manchester City, Chelsea, nothing. Burnley through and through. And the town of population of 60,000, obviously the outlying areas, maybe bring that up to 80, 90, but the, the love and the passion for the club. And I, if I'm honest, I tapped into that. I recognised that, you know, that that was a, a, going to be a, a source of great strength at the club. But what we had to do was win games and bring it all together. And we did that. I mean, we turned tough we were into a fortress. Nobody wanted to come there. The fans were, you know, and people say, well, it was only 23, 24,000. But I played in front of 90,000. 
But Turf Moor on a night like that, you know, on a, particularly in a, in a night game, sold out. The atmosphere was incredible. And the fans, they loved their club. And, uh, and I, I absolutely loved my time there. As I did at Bolton, a, a club that I played for. And, uh, you know, those two clubs were obviously clubs that, that I managed in the Premier League and in, in the best league in the world. And uh, we had some fa- fantastic times, big results. And so those those were certainly special clubs. But even then, come back last year to the job we were going to do at Queen's Park, completely different because to Queen's Park have very little support. But the the progression that was made and get out to India. I've been really lucky. I mean, I think it'd be it'd be very harsh of me to actually just pick, you know, one specific club. But I think there's in all those clubs there was different uh different things that I really liked and it's special, special times. Well through that those those experiences that you've had, Owen, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned in your managerial career and how have they impacted your coaching philosophy? Well, in terms of the, without outside the coaching thing, from a, uh, from an aspect of as you are a head coach, a manager, and you're in the limelight and different stuff and things that goes with that, and the nature of football is that, and we see it, we see it now, we've seen it even in the last year. Very, very good managers, and they've lost their jobs, and all of a sudden people think they're not very good managers. The nature of football is it can change very quickly. You know, when we're doing all really well, which I've had huge experiences of doing that, and equally I've had a few, I know it doesn't look it, but a few punches in the nose along the way. But the point of that is that when you're at the very, doing very well and everybody thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread, then all of a sudden, oh, they're an absolute, they're absolutely terrible and everything else. The truth is, we all know the game. We all have a really good idea on the game how we want to play and good players help you to achieve what you want to achieve so I think the important thing is that we never ever get too high don't get carried away and we never ever get too low we always give balance to it and uh, and I think we certainly learned that because coaches were totally engrossed in the game 24-7 particularly for myself I only do football and family and uh, so when you're in that you're giving everything you can do you know uh, because you're not only this is the thing I go back to earlier we spoke about being a player as a player, you play well, manager picks you. As a manager, you're responsible, not just for a team. Sometimes you're responsible for a, for a whole city and everything goes with that and how people feel. And if I actually go back to that, I remember uh, at Burnley and we were obviously, uh, we were doing ever so well, as you know. And uh, and I remember the secretary uh, coming and saying, hey, hey Gaffer, there's uh, the police superintendents in to see you Monday morning. This is towards the end of the season, just before getting build up to the, the the playoffs. And I thought, the chief superintendent said, he see me on a Monday morning. So, of course, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have the players been up to? Who's did what? Who's, somebody's been in trouble. And So, anyway, he comes in and he sits down, lovely man. And I said, hey, so I'm wanting to know who's been in trouble. I said, so everything okay? You know what's... He went, no, and I just wanted to come in and thank you. I said, sorry. He said, yeah, I just wanted to come in and thank you. I said, thank me for what? He said, oh, when the team's winning... There's less crime. <laughs> so, one of, honestly, one of the best conferences I've ever had, when the team is winning, there's less crime. Everybody's in a good mood. They feel good about themselves. And uh, and this was the superintendent came in, chief superintendent came in to tell me face-to-face. I was worried one of the players was in bother. So my point is, you're responsible for a huge town, a huge city. So it's not something we take lightly. That, that's bringing me back to what I was chatting about earlier. So when we are given those those jobs and big jobs regardless, you've got to make sure you do everything to to, to your maximum. And uh, and obviously there's huge learning bits along the way. But in terms of football, I think that's important you stay true to, to what you believe. 
in terms of how you want to pass and move that ball, the type of players you like in your team. Because as coaches, we'll all have different flavours. We'll all have the different ones that we like to, to add to. Because really, in essence, putting that team together is not a big bit. It's not a big jigsaw, getting the right pieces that fit. So ultimately, your team, because your strength has got is being a team. Good individual players will help you along the way in different things, but your strength is going to be as a group. That's how you're going to win. You're going to win collectively. Best example just now for you, you look at Manchester City for their quality and everything. Pep Guardiola is an absolute genius, no doubt, because from all that individual flair, what he does, what he has, he has that group dynamic. You know, you see them, you know, disappointed to come off, but they know they're coming off because to, to, they've played the part for the team. And uh, so that that ultimately is uh, the way you win in football, by making sure that everybody is singing off the same page. That's when you have a chance of success in football, it's when everybody is aligned at a football club. Because if there's different factions, trust me, that will fall down. It's amazing, isn't it? You've just mentioned about the... We're talking about football here. Do you know, in the power of what one ball provides across the world, but not just on the football pitch, and the uh, the chief inspector who came in, as you thought were coming in to, to give you some news about a player or something that had taken place, to actually influence not just what's happening on the park, but the community itself. It's such a powerful, powerful sport. Now, you know, how do you manage the pressures and expectations that come with being a manager? I know. I, th- I think that's something that we all we all have to learn to deal with because there's no, I mean, it's a brilliant question because there's no coaching course in the world is going to prepare you for how you deal with those interactions and you're managing people above you and different things and, and people's expectations from all different, from all different angles. So I think to be, for me, I think the biggest part is I've always kind of based on how I was brought up, those core, those core values, the core principles that my mum and dad instilled to me. And really to be, and I'm very lucky because I'm one of nine. I've got five brothers and three sisters. Growing up in the Gorbals, we never ever had it easy. So I think all those things certainly stood me in good stead of, because really when I get into a football club, I want to make that football club an extension of family. So that it seems, and it should be, that it is a family club, that everybody should feel they've got a part to play. Of course they have different roles, uh, but equally that nobody's any bigger or any better than anybody else. We've all got an individual job sometimes as a coach, There's a a discipline involved and you make decisions and everything else. But ultimately, we want to feel that you walk through the doors, everybody enjoys coming and being part of what you're trying to build at that football club. So for me, it's a real extension of family. And I I mean, I think if I go back to, uh, and it's turned out, obviously, the, I don't want, well, for me, it was a miracle. When when Fabrice Moamba collapsed and for seven to eight minutes to be starved of oxygen to, to your brain, and uh, it's truly remarkable the recovery that Fabrice has made and the the prayers and everything that went with that. But then, obviously, I was there for four or five days in the hospital and having to do press conferences four and five days. People said to me, you know, how, how are you able to do that? And I said to him, I said, well, do you know what? I did it because it was the way I was brought up and that's how we you, you delivered that because uh, what we tried to build and that extension of family and how the, the core values and principles that my mum and dad and family taught you, then that's really how you get about things because... There's no coaching or any course in the world is going to help you how to deal with with a situation like that. So all I was trying to do was really, to everybody, because it was a worldwide story, but really that news in, in, a, in a very humble and honest way, because that's the only way you can get through something like that. And the recovery, you know, for the only thing, obviously, and it was a big thing for Bruce, they wouldn't let him do is play football. 
Uh, but he's very articulate. He's a clever man. He's an outstanding man. Beautiful family. And to come back from where he did that night, I mean, that was truly remarkable. So you, you talk there about that situation with Fabrice Muamba and how you dealt with it. And obviously what he went through was was horrific. But as a collective, so you've got the whole organisation, the whole the team, the staff, everybody involved in this situation. And there was obviously a responsibility from from your side to help maintain this culture that you'd built. How How did you manage to do that? And really leading up to that as well, what strategies did you use and do you use to build positive cultures? Yeah, I think that, that was a... I think that was very testing for everyone. You know, obviously everything that Fabrice and his family, everything you do, that was that was of paramount importance. That was the most important thing. Obviously, some of the game the games were cancelled for for a couple of weeks. And I remember saying to the lads, because if you think about it, you know, Fabrice was such a fit and healthy uh, player. He played at such a high level for many, many years. And I've got no doubts that the psychology of players would be thinking, well, if that can happen to Fabrice, that can happen to anyone, which is which is very true. So I remember saying to the players with the meeting, I said, listen, the games obviously need to restart at some point, but if there is any of you that don't want to play, you do not have to play. And I think the only reason that they were able to play, if I'm honest, was that they knew Fabrice was getting better. Fabrice was recovering. They could see that uh, they were getting the news all the time that Fabrice was, was getting better and on the mend. Because had he not, I mean, I think that would have been very challenging for any of those players to step onto the field. But because obviously he was getting better, uh, it gave them the opportunity they could go and play those games. And I remember Stylian Pet, uh, Martin Petrov at the time as well, because Stylian was a real dear friend of Martin's, and Stylian was having a uh, going through a real. I think he'd been diagnosed with a cancer as well. So, you know, I, I said to Martin, you know, amongst the other players, listen, I, you know, what you're having to deal with with those lads, but knowing they're getting better, uh, I think that allowed Martin, to, Martin Petrov, to go and play those games, and that was the same with other boys. Seeing that Fabrice was getting better, that was that was huge because you know the he was so well loved and well liked and admired by everybody. Really, really good character, funny lad, and uh, and it was great to see that he, he was on the mend, and that allowed them. But for us, it was really trying just trying as a club. Uh, you know, Phil Garcia's not here now, my chairman, God rest him. But Phil was great and very much that make sure that if the players needed anything, then then it was there to try and help. But the biggest thing, the biggest single thing in it, without any doubt, was knowing that Fabrice was getting better. That allowed, I think, people to then, don't want to say get back to what their normal thing was, but get back to playing the games. So just sharing that you care and actually do it consistently with players across the club, in actual fact, not just players, but everyone. You know, they sense that. They feel your words. They can sense what you're saying, but they feel your words. And and it's it's very evident that that's that's the case in this what you're sharing with us at the moment, particularly around Fabrice, who obviously is a I have met him personally, and I with what you're saying about him, he's a, he's a gentle sort of fellow, but really really articulate. Now going from the experiences working with a club, building and how to actually develop the culture and relationships. How do you keep up with the latest coaching trends and strategies and then incorporate them into your own approach? No, I, th- I think that's uh, it's very relevant because obviously 
there's different trends come in, different things and, and, and such forth. The great thing, obviously, within having achieved your pro license and such forth, that you still need to do your, your CPD, your continual professional development. So there's always courses going on. Some will catch your eye. I think, okay, I'll let you know a wee bit about more of that. So I think what's important is that you, you learn everything that's going on. Now, we're never going to be an expert in all those fields. For example, if I've got a strength conditioning coach who knows his stuff, I mean, I, I'll know bits of that, but I don't know to the extent of that lad. That's his job. That's his. So there's there's certain elements of that you need to know. Of course there is. And uh, and it's like most things, the analysis and the, the amount of stuff that's coming into football. If I think back to obviously when I was finishing playing and the, the amount of staff we had, but then if you looked the other night at the Champions League final, I'm sure we did, when the Manchester City staff came on came on the field, thought it was an invasion, the amount of staff they've got. But they're there for a reason, because they obviously the, the finance, the Premier League allows that to happen. And of course, there is there is a role and a responsibility for all those staff at the club, both male, female, and everything else that goes with it, you know, to 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 play their part and 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 and, and help. So I think of course it's important that you do keep up with trends and of course you apply the little bits that you think can help you because you know if there's something comes on board and you're looking at it okay I'm not sure about that well I'm not going to apply if it doesn't think it helps us to move forward but if there is bits you can glean from it absolutely and obviously you know as we know with analysis and data and everything else it's really important now and it, and it gives us the older guys we see I'm going up for 57 you can see with a wee bit of grey hair I'm saying a wee bit but the, the so of course it's important we're on top of that. But the great thing as well, uh, for example, you know, obviously uh, young one what we me last year who's a, who's a young coach and they, different sets of eyes, see different things because as mentioned before, we're all different flavours. But when you can bring that and particularly relevant, I think because of the age of the players that you do have, one of the best things I've ever done to be fair, think about it, I think you should always have somebody younger than with you for sure because you see things differently and equally I'm going to say a little bit older, but certainly if there's somebody a little bit older, see different things as well. So you get the best of all those in terms of different people's opinions, different sets of eyes on different things, but they're coming from different different eras. So you get a wee feel for it. And ultimately, as a head coach manager, you take that all on board and you make the best decision you can moving forward for the team and the football club. Obviously, you, I mean, look, you've coached all over the world now. Several different organisations, clubs, different cultures. And I'm sure you'll have a, a coaching style and a philosophy and methodology that you believe in, but can you share a time when you've had to adapt your coaching style to suit the needs of the team or individual players? Yeah, I, th I think uh, I think there's a lot of merit in that because ultimately, in an ideal world, if you have the finance difference afforded to you, then you're able to go and lay it down how you want it played. Like Manchester City can go and play like that because... If they need a player, they have the finance to go and bring that player in and they're able to work within what they want to do. Now, there's times, for example, if I think about when when I went into to India, kind of halfway through, I said, you inherit a squad and are they going to play the way that ideally I would like if you're able to have your, your blank sheet of paper and put the bits that you want in place? So ultimately, I think from that coaching perspective, sometimes you've got to be able to be flexible and adjust and ultimately, the biggest thing in football, for all the talent and then all the players and everything else, you have to make sure, like most things, you get the best out of everybody that works with you. That's the key. That you're able to find a way and different people, there'll be different skills and different things that are required to do that. But you've got to find a way to make sure you get the best out of those individuals. So collectively, it all works together. And that, I mean, when I went into Shania and Shania were bottom in the league, 
And we came in and I looked and I thought they had some good players, but they were lacking in confidence. It was a bit of this, probably we haven't getting the best out of the players that we had. And we managed to, to, to get them going. Uh, the other thing as well, that, that where they were in the league at that point in India, they'd uh, already played a number of games at home as opposed to away games. So the backlog of games, not the backlog, but the games that they played, there was going to be more on the road as well. So there was going to be, uh, sorry, that's a, an American terminology, on the road for the away games. So, uh, so we're going to play a number of games away from home. But where we were in the league, because of the way that playoff system works over there, at the time it was a top four, draws were never going to be enough for us. I had to make sure that those players were focused on that. Draws weren't enough. We had to win games. Everything was based on winning, which we want to be anyway. It suited me right down to the ground because I want my teams to be on the front foot, regardless who we play, to go and win games. Be really aggressive in, that, in, in, in doing that. Uh, I played, as I say, I mentioned earlier in Scotland when I played for provincial clubs, we used to play Celtic and Rangers. And as a striker, sometimes I'd be deployed wide left as a double left back because we were against the ball all the time. I hated that. I thought to myself, we're bringing everybody back behind the ball. We're eventually going to get picked off anyway. You lose one or two or three now and you've contributed nothing to the game. So I've always felt it was a coach. My teams are going out to, no matter who we're playing, we're going out to win every game. Even the Premier League. And my Burnley team went to my, and we weren't, you know, at Turf Moor in the Premier League. Before I left Burnley, we had 10, 10 games at home. We won five, we drew four, and we lost one. And the game we lost, we shouldn't even have lost that, but Brian Jensen actually uh, tripped over his own feet in the, in the goal line against Wigan. No, it's true. He went to, he, 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 when he turned, the, he turned his ankle, actually, and Hugo Rodeaga rolled the ball in and emptied it. Otherwise, we'd have been unbeaten. But away from home, we're finding it difficult because we're playing elite teams. We're going to Liverpool, we're going to Tottenham. But what I did with that, I've got away in a tangent, forgive me, but I'll go back to the India thing. But what we... I had to do it was because we came up from the, the championship. We'd been favourites to be relegated with Burnley from the championship, but we played 61 games that season, an unbelievable cup run. Uh, we used the fewest amount of players in the, in the league. We were embargoed from the January because Burnley were running out of money. We owed money to Manchester United and Scunthorpe for some add-ons on Chris Eagles and Martin Parson. Uh, but in the Premier League with Burnley, we wouldn't change. So I made sure the mentality didn't change. Even away from home, and we went to Spurs and lost at four... We went to somewhere else with Chelsea. We lost 3-0. But we weren't going to change how we played because had I changed, it would have affected us at home because the players would have felt he doesn't believe in us. Oh, he's bringing everybody back behind the wall. And it goes against what I believe. I want to go out and win it, try and win every game. And so much so went to Manchester City with their, their team at that time. Which they'd spent about £300 million at that time, never mind the team they have now. And we drew three each. Uh, we went in front, then we went behind, but we kept going. So the boys could see, well, do you know what? He believes in this for a reason. With the smallest budget ever known at the Premier League, but the mentality of that, going to win, going to win, which brings me back to India, because that's what we had to do. We had to go and win every game. And we got them up and running, feeling good about ourselves. So much so, we went from bottom of the league to the actual the playoff final, to be champions in the, in the Super League. We lost in that final against the, the biggest team in the country, ATK, who had beaten previously to get into the playoffs. So, and on another day, we probably could have won that game very easily, but that's the nature of it. But the turnaround was remarkable because we had to win, which suited how I want to play, because I want to go and win games and I want to make sure I'm not parking the bus. And bringing, I mean, for me, that would, I don't know any fans. That would, I know some team might scrape a draw here and there, but for me, philosophies and everything else, I want my team to be attack-minded and getting on the ball and being pleasing in the eye so that fans, when they come away from a game, say, you know what, I really enjoy watching that team. And the, the other thing about them, they didn't win today, 
but they always set out to win. They're always trying to win. And if I'm doing that and the fans are happy with that, then, then we're doing well. How do you build resilient, robust, and if you like, this relentless mental toughness in players? That is a challenge because, and we're all guilty of it. You'll know this as parents because I'm sure the young ones will forgive me, but I think any every generation gets a little bit softer in respect of, you know, they get more things done for them than, you know, and I know times can be tough and everybody else, but if I think back to when I was growing up, we had to fight and scratch for it. So we had that natural resilience, that natural toughness. Nobody was going to knock you down. You're going to bounce up back, back up again. And that kind of takes me back to a part of management. People think it's a tough decision to leave your star player out of the team. No, it's not. If you're leaving them out, it's because you've not been playing well enough to stay in the team. The toughest decisions you'll ever make, in my opinion as a manager, is when you've got to make those decisions on kids at 16 years of age. Are they going to become professionals? Because in many ways, I don't want to say you're quashing dreams, but these kids are thinking they're all going to be professionals and it's just not possible. And that, for me, is the toughest thing because you want to, obviously, as we do anywhere, we make sure we have a duty of care and try and get them other clubs and different things. But that is a huge, you know, huge undertaking that is to give that news that I don't have a professional contract for you. But of course, we'll look to help you and hopefully you can prove us wrong. But so leaving star players out, that's part and parcel of the game. You play well. That's the other thing I've always said. Managers don't leave players out of the team because they're playing well. They've obviously the players, they've played themselves out of the team. You perform well, I'm sure. Any manager knows good players, they'll keep you in the team. But those decisions with kids, I mean, those are those can be heartbreaking. And I was really lucky actually to be a professional because I was five foot four until I was about 18 and a half, coming up from 19. And I was supposed to sign for Dundee United, which was the third, fourth biggest club in the country at the time when I was 13. And my father, God rest him, was uh, was friends with Sean Fallon. Sean Fallon was the assistant manager to Jock Steen when Glasgow Celtic were the first British club to win the European Cup. And uh, Sean was now working at Dumbarton when my two older brothers played. And he said to my father, young Owen is better serving with his brothers. So my dad says, right, you're signing for the Barton. I says, that, that's fine, dad, no problem. You know, whatever my dad decided, as you know, that, that was it done. Uh, so I signed for the Barton. And uh, Jim McLean was later to remind me, it cost him nearly half a million to bring me back to Dundee United from Bolton. But what I did say, I mean, this is true, had I signed for Dundee United, I'm sure at 16 years of age, they would have released me because I was a bit, obviously very small at that point. And they were looking and thought, you know, young Coyle's a good little player, but I've got this good big player. I'll take the big lad. But at Dumbarton, because it was a smaller club, I was allowed to potter away, play in the reserves, and they knew I could play a little bit, but they were just waiting for me, you know. And eventually that's what happened. I never I was very, very skinny anyway, but I got tall enough, five foot eleven and a half, that they thought they could play me in the team. Uh you still there, managed to score my debut in the last bit. So my my point in that is, you know. I've been really lucky that, you know, I've had good people at the right time, gave me the time to grow and get bigger. But when these make the decision with these kids, they, they can be really tough for uh, when they're 16 years of age. They're huge decisions in football. Owen, obviously we've, my dad and I both know your son very well as well. I actually did my uh, my UEFA B licence with him a good few years ago now. And But what what is your working relationship like with your son and how do you 
balance your role as a father and as a coach? Yeah, well, at, at, at that point, I'm not. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, of course, it's, it's difficult to say. You're, but ultimately, you know, I've got shoes, not because he's mine. I've got to say he's, he's an outstanding coach. I mean, at the age he's at and the way he delivers and his practices and everything, I mean, he's miles ahead of where I was at, at that age, for sure. And I was a professional footballer at that time. His understanding of the game, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, he's going to work at the highest level for sure because he's outstanding at what he does. His, uh, his preparation, his delivery, so much so that last year I allowed him to take the, he took the training, and Sandy, to be fair, who's been with me everywhere, Sandy would be at the side and and, and mentor a little, little bit on that. So he was great with him, but there's no doubt he's he's got an outstanding view in the game and how he wants to play and how he wants to train and everything else. And I felt it was important that I allowed him to develop that and flourish that, and he excelled so much. So he's on his pro license now. You know, twenty six years. Of ages, you know, he's been there all the time. But of course, there was times when I had to say, Well, hold it there. The great thing is, a bit like he's got his own opinion. You need people to challenge you. That one, what about doing this and doing that? And that's, as you know, very opinionated in most things. So, but it works really well. It's very visions as you do. I want to hear from good people and understand them and make the best decision for everybody moving forward. From a, a coaching context, what is one question you wish you were asked more frequently from players and equal coaches? I think, I think present day, if, if, if I'm honest, because I think when I played, I think we were quite vocal. I think we knew, but I think that players are quieter now. I don't think there's as many leaders as uh, as previous generations for whatever reason. But I think I always hope that when players get on the field, that they know. And I always say this, if you're unsure about what your roles and responsibilities are, and that's even coaching stuff, then ask. So we're all clear and we know exactly when we're entering onto that field of play or in terms of preparation, you know exactly what, what's what's required of you and to do that and excel to do that at the best of your abilities. So for me, I think that, well, that would be, you know, what exactly is it you need of me? What am I expected to be? What's your expectations of me? And I think we all have a clear idea and a clear picture then of what, what needs to happen to move ahead. What's the best piece of coaching advice you've been offered? Oh, there's a number of them. I remember uh, when I was taking the... Uh, so when I worked for uh, Ian McCall, who was part of the Thistle Manager last year and left, but I was his player coach, and uh, and he came one day and says, Coyley, I have to say something to you. I said, yeah, what is it, Gaffer? He said, you're going to have to understand that when you become a manager in your own right, that not everybody's as enthusiastic and passionate about football as you are. And I said, well, listen, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. I just, I couldn't comprehend that. Why could you, who would be passionate and, and enthusiastic about, about the best game in the world? And But he's right, actually. <laughs> the more, I, because everybody has different traits, different personalities. It's not saying that they, they don't care as much. People have different ways of showing it. But for me, obviously, that natural enthusiasm and everything that we bring, that's a huge part of, of probably who I am as well. So, and then another bit, it was uh, one of my old managers, I remember phoning me up and he said, uh, Coily, bit of advice. I says, what is it? He says, well, it's two bits. He says, you're going to get those players that every four or five games, they have a good game. And you think, oh, I'm the guy who can change him. I can make those four or five games. Instead of one good game every four or five, I'll make it four or five. And he's going to be a top, top. He says, you can't, that's him. They've been doing that for years. 
everybody thinks they can change them. So, uh, but we do. We see that. We see that glimmer. We see that flicker, and we think, and we try our, our, our utmost to to get the best of a, of a more consistent basis. And if we think back, that's why, that's why there's huge cup shocks in football, because players have ability. But the players that play at the highest level play because they bring it nearly every week. But you'll have a team in the Premier League can get beat with a team in League Two. Why? Because that League Two team on that day, every one of them have brought their very, very best game. But they can't bring that every week. Because if they did, they'd play at a much higher level. But if they bring it on that day and the top team's not at themselves, that's how cup shocks are created. So, but we always think when we see that glimmer, I'll make them better and and sometimes it's difficult to do. Sometimes you do, you're able to persevere and somebody, you know, the penny drops on them and they're able to bring it on a consistent level. And the other one, the, the famous one that we've probably all heard is that, and this is when games used to play, be played every Saturday. Now games are played on different days, but when games are played on a Saturday, I remember a manager saying, do you remember when you've lost that game and you're fired up and emotional and everything else? Never, ever pick your team on a Saturday night. And that's because obviously when you've lost that game, you're like, right, he's not playing, he's not playing, as you do. But of course, you've got to give balance to it, look through, analyse the game and different things. But that was, as I say, obviously, I'm starting back way over 20 years ago with all those little bits. Of, yeah, don't pick your team on a Saturday night. That was because of the emotion involved and, and the passion and everything that goes with it. What are some of the common challenges that you face as a coach, Owen, regardless of the club or team you're working with? Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest challenge as coach you always feel will be everybody's expectation. Because if, for example, if you come in and your team, you come in a, you know, a poor situation, the team's not doing well, and you start to then make strides and then expectation rises, well, oh, right, okay, we should be champions. So I think what you've got to do is you've always got to give balance to it and understand that, you know, there is huge finance in football. And more often than not, it's, it's not a fair fight in respect of budgets. You know, I know people say, well, I hear people going on about budgets all the time. Yeah, for a reason. Because the more money you've got, very simply, you get better players, and better players help you to win. So, of course, you know that's that's why. So, I think it's important that you know the expectation level. Everybody understands you know where you are, what you can achieve. But of course, within that, you can achieve special things. That's what football does. When you can get that group together, it doesn't and we always say this: it's not always the best players that will make up the best team. So, it's important that you understand what's the little bits of the jigsaw that you need to put all that together. And uh, and when you do that, you know, magical things can happen in football. So we've always been lucky you know, at different times to experience. As it's an amazing feeling, it really is. How do you build relationships with players and staff when you're new to a club? And what kind of things do you do to earn the trust? Well, I think first and foremost, the, the most important thing, you've got to be true to yourself. When you come in, you have to be yourself. If you come in and try to be something else, and people see through that. So... You have to be natural. You have to be the way you see things. The way, in terms of building trust, then you've got. For me, you've got to be honest. You've got to be upfront. Uh, you know, sometimes people might might not particularly like what you've got to say, but they know it's coming from a true place, and you've been honest, and, you, and you've been very upfront with them. And so then that gives you the premise to to move forward, knowing that you have that honest relationship, and knowing as well that you're there to make people better and you're there to help them. And, and when you do that, of course, players will respond to that because players want to be the I would hope that when you walk through the doors, you want to be the best you can be. And if you've got somebody that's there to help you and they're, they're stressing, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help you, help you make better. But equally, you've got your part to play in that. 
then then of course that gives you an opportunity to to improve and move forward you know well as a team but again it's it's bit by bit you're not going to come into any football club you're not going to come in click your fingers sprinkle fairy dust and everything falls into place it takes hard work it takes repetition it takes an understanding and it takes a real desire that thing that gets us up every morning to make sure we're the best we can be that's what you need and this has been certainly long before me it'll be long after me we'll all come across players with unbelievable and it's actually a if somebody used to say, what's your miscellaneous dislikes? This people one of them for me because I wasn't, I was an honest player. I was, I played at 10 stone. I was the skinniest striker you've ever seen in your life. I wasn't particularly a lightning quick, but I was sharp. I was fit. I could run all day. But what I did do is I maximised, maximised everything that, that God had given me. Every little ability, bit of ability I was given, I maximised that. But the bugbear for me is when I have players with unbelievable ability, lightning pace, things that I never, ever had, and they don't apply themselves the way they should because they don't understand what an opportunity they've had and, and, and or they have to excel. But it takes... Ability is never enough. Ability will never be enough. You've got to make sure that you're disciplined, you're focused, you live your life properly on and off the park if you want to achieve things as a player. And there's got to be sacrifices that go along with that. So there's no there's no shortcuts, there's no easy route. And you, somebody might have a spell for a year or six months, but if they're not living their life properly, that'll soon catch up with them. And that's why I, when, I, when I played, I was always huge in my admiration of your Ryan Giggs, your Paul Scholes, your David Beckhams, all these boys who played in that team, because they were wealthy men many, many years ago. They never continued to play at the highest level until they finished. They did that because they had that burning desire to be the best they could be every day. And when you lose that, and you'll see this in the league, you'll see boys that'll play four and five years in the Premier League, and all of a sudden, they maybe start drifting down the divisions. They're not drifting down the divisions because they became bad players. There's probably an element of lost that, and it's it's a coat of paint between these boys at the top, top level, but there's probably, maybe they're missing that just a little bit of hunger, that little bit of desire, that edge that made them different. And the schools, the Beckhams, the gigs, these boys never lost that. That's why they continue to be at that highest, highest level for all their days. Just changing tack slightly, Owen. How do you manage the expectations and pressures from fans, the media and the club's hierarchy, the management? And what techniques do you use to stay focused and motivated? Yeah, well, again, it's a brilliant question because I think that's the challenge that that any coach will face. And I, I really feel for, like, for young coaches, if I'm honest, because obviously being a bit older and had success and different things, and of course, people know when you're at your best, what you're good at and different things and the right circumstance, the right environment. But young coaches now, if they don't get that that right in that first job, they're not, they're not getting another job again. So that's why I always say to young coaches, make sure that first job you take is with good people, and it's with a chance of winning because if it doesn't, then the percentage, 95, probably higher percentage of that, and that you're not getting that head coach's job again. So I think that, you know, and for them, again, to your question about expectation, I think it's important when you come in, you, you, you realise, okay, where are we? And you're honest with people. And you say, listen, this is what we can do if this falls into place. But you've got to understand what, what our starting point is and then where we're going to look to go. But of course, 
then you have, and even within, if you think even within a boardroom, let's just say the six directors, they'll have different expectations about the six of them because they'll maybe see different things or maybe one's invested more or they expect or they play different ways. So I think that's that's why I always liked where the boardroom scenario when, you know, we, if you're having a board meeting once a month, it gives you your opportunity when I used to come and do the football report and then you could sit individually with them and get your message across. So as opposed to me saying to you who then goes and speaks to someone else, they're hearing it firsthand. We're all on the same page. And I would invite questions. Do you want to ask me anything football related that I can maybe explain? And then all of a sudden people are, oh, right, okay, I understand. So instead of any being grey areas, and I think that it probably comes back to transparency, that you have that, that everybody knows exactly where they stand. They know they can come and ask a question. And, you know, in the right circumstances, at the right time, and there's that transparency. Everybody can see what we're all trying to do. Owen, final question for you. What is your greatest curiosity about being a manager? Greatest curiosity? Yep. Uh, oh, it's a good question. I think uh, how is the game? How's the game going to evolve? I'm really curious about that because the you know we have, as you know, we have different trends at different times. We have different ways of playing and people have different styles and shapes. And you know, and you get we all get and you get. I mean, I laugh sometimes because obviously I'm a bit older, but everybody tries to try to reinvent the wheel. Listen, it's a beautiful game. There's all different ways of winning the game as well. And this is the thing. You know, for what people feel, well, okay, oh, somebody's a purist, for example, and they want to call it. But there's different ways of, of 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 beating that opponent. There's different players help you to achieve these things. But I am curious, you know, if, if that's a question in terms of how that game will evolve, how the you know the styles and techniques and and everything else that goes with it. Uh, but the biggest part is that you know ultimately it'll be eleven v eleven on the field, and you know people always and this is the other thing as well. With tactics. Of course, they'll always play a part. But ultimately, if I'm shape, if I'm playing you, and you decide you're playing three five two against my four four two, tactics will play a part. But they'll only play a part in respect of if you take care of the ball better than I do. Because if you do, you'll impose your system on me because you're taking far far greater care of the ball. So ultimately, it comes down to players. So tactics, six systems, they'll all play the part. But the fundamental thing is that players have to take care of the ball. Because regardless of what you're shape, if I have a different shape against you and my players are taking better care of the ball, I'm going to dominate the game against you. I'm going to be able to, to win the game because my players are taking care of the ball. And then that's a little bit of shape and systems and tactics will help to play the part then. But the fundamental thing is you must be able to take care of that ball. And if you do, you'll always have a chance of winning football games. I did say final question. I do have another question for you. I saw Carry on. I know, uh, Junior, currently, he refers to you as gaffer or has had to refer to you as gaffer. How would you feel about if the role gets reversed at one point and you're referring to him as gaffer? Will that go down well? There would be nobody more pleased about that than me. And th this is the thing that people forget. You know, before I, I, I actually... Well, actually, Sandy, who as my assistant. I actually was assistant for Sandy for a small period. I was at Dundee United as player coach. I'd been offered, the, I won the league at Falkirk as player co-manager and I was offered the job but I still wanted to play and I'd given Ian McCall who I mentioned earlier, he was manager at Dundee United, he'd been with me at Falkirk, he went to Dundee United and he wanted me to go that time in the January I said no, I'm going to stay 
So I stayed, me and John Hughes, Yogi, as player co-managers, won the championship. It was an unbelievable season for me. I won the league as a player manager. I was the top scorer in the league. I was the player of the league for the year. It was just, I was 37 years of age. It was just a magical season. I still wanted to play. So I went and done the nice as a player coach. And I was on the bench every week and I wanted to play. And I said to Ian, listen, I'm still taking the reserves that he played on the Monday, but I need to play on a Saturday. So I went and loaned to Sandy at Airdrie United and he scored goals, managed to win the league, won with him. And then Dundee United, I said to Ian, listen, I still want to play. Kenny Black went with Craig Levine to Leicester, who was Sandy's assistant manager. So Sandy asked would I come and be player assistant manager for him. Well, so the point I'm making there with regards to young one, nobody would be delighted more than me. So as much as I've been a manager and head coach and, and at times very, very successful with that, thank goodness and thank God, uh, I would have no problem assisting somebody being a director of football, taking different roles. I have the skill set, I have the tools to do it. And, and I know. So if that ever comes about, I'd be delighted. And I'd be more, nobody would be more pleased than me to say, what do you need, Gaffer? How can I help? What is it you need from me? Happy days. 100%. I'm not sure I'll take a, I'll take a bollocking off him too well, but anyway. <laughs> Owen Coyle Senior, listen, thank you very much. I've loved that. I've, I've loved that. Your wealth of experience and insight, lived experiences, because those that can talk about it and then those that can actually talk about it because they've lived it, there is a vast difference between those two. So thank you on behalf of David and myself and the listeners. And good luck wherever the, the future holds for you, whether you call in Junior Gaffer or he's calling. <laughs> no, listen, I've loved every minute of that. I know again, hopefully, if we need to do a take two, let me know. I'd be more than happy to do that. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.